Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you, Amy. Well, good morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh, and uh, it's great to be with you. We've had a, a cold going through the, the four household, um, so I'm mercifully on the mend, way better than I was on Thursday. It was pretty rough, but I do still have a little bit of a cough, so hopefully uh, you don't have to hear that too much. I've worn Chaz in the back that so he, can, he can mute me. Um, I'm going to start with an awkward fudge story. This is my this is my opening sermon story. It was a, a finals week in college. I was an RA in one of my uh, residents. Uh, that's like the upperclassman that lives on the on the hall. And I don't know what I did, but I, th- that's what I did. And so a, a, a resident gave me a Tupperware full of fudge from his mother uh, on during finals week one one year in college. And um, I had finished a couple exams, got back to my dorm room. <clears throat> And just wanted to, you know, zone out a little bit. So I started watching, turn on the TV, start eating fudge. And I kind of slipped into this, like, TV fudge oblivion. And it wasn't until uh, a little while later, some of my friends barged into my room to see if I want to go get dinner, that I kind of, like, realized what I was doing. You know, I was, like, halfway through the Tupperware thing of fudge. I got crumbs down my shirt. I just kind of completely zoned out. Uh, it was kind of embarrassing. Like while I was alone doing my own thing, I just kind of like eased into this somewhat uh, unpleasant fudge eating situation that would have, uh, you know, probably given me a stomach ache if I hadn't been interrupted. I, and I say that silly story to try to bring us into a little bit into the experience of what the shepherds have experienced in our sermon text. This idea of comfortably going about your life, going about your business, and then being invaded. Uh, uncomfortably by something from without. And it, as, as our text said that Amy just read, uh, there, there is terror. This exposure uh, comes in and scares, scares us. 
This Advent season, uh, we've been looking at this connection between the, the birth of Jesus, the proclamation of the birth of Jesus, and the, and the call, the command to fear not. Four times around the birth of Jesus, people are told to fear not, to, which is the King James Version, uh, or do not be afraid. And more broadly than just the Christmas story, this command to not be afraid is the most common command in all of the scriptures. All right, depend, depending on how you translate it, uh, up to 300 sometimes, uh, God calls his people to not be afraid in the scriptures. God knows our frame. He knows that we're vulnerable and weak. He knows the world is broken and scary. And in love, he calls us to not be afraid, but to trust in him. The Bible talks about how perfect love casts out fear. And so it makes sense that as Jesus, perfect love in the flesh draws near that we are called to not be afraid. The main point for us today is that because of Jesus, when God's glory enters our lives, we can experience joy instead of the fear of being exposed. When God's glory enters our lives, we can experience joy instead of the fear of being exposed. Going a little bit of a different direction this morning than I originally thought when I sketched out this sermon series, but my, the, the cry of my heart this morning is that we would see God more clearly in his glory and his perfection and beauty, and that light would shine on us, let us see a little bit more of our sin, and then the mind-blowing, scandalous good news of the gospel, that in Jesus we don't have to be afraid of drawing near to this glorious God but we can run to him like beloved children. This idea of light and dark, Jesus and exposure uh, is summarized by Jesus himself in John chapter three, just to give a little context for what we're talking about this morning. In John three, uh, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Jesus, just by showing up is, as the light of the world shines in, into, into all of the world, but into our lives and exposes the substance and rhythms and behaviors of our lives. And this is so fascinating to chew on this week as I just consider the, the, this paradigm in Scripture, that there's this double-edged reality of grace if you look at Jesus' words, because it's a gift to have the light of the world come. Like, Jesus is the greatest gift. But then Jesus himself is saying, those in darkness hate the light. Like, it, this, this gift is something hateful, there's a discomfort and fear that comes when the light flips on in a dark room, like it hurts your eyes at first. And I think the, the classic words uh, of, of John Newton in Amazing Grace summarize it. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." You see that, that double, the double edge, the two-sided aspect. There's, there's grace that, that would flip on the lights, and it kind of hurts and is scary and it exposes us. And then there's grace that relieves those fears of exposure. It's grace to, uh, to, to understand the, the glory of the Lord shining around them like the shepherds had 
uh, even though they were terrified. And then it's grace that the, good, that the shepherds hear, that a Savior has been born that relieves fear. So that's kind of what we're going to unpack this morning. Look at verse 8 and 9, chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So the context, these shepherds or boys probably in their teens, culturally, that's who hung out with the sheep. And it's interesting, in the NIV, it says the shepherds were living out in the fields. Like they weren't just like out there filling up a trough or something. No, they were like camping out there far away from town, away from their families. And in this simple, quiet scene, maybe around a fire, an angel shows up. But Luke, take pain, Luke takes pains to articulate that the glory of the Lord shone around them, like surrounded them, flooded them, overwhelmed them. And it's, it's funny, in the Greek, when it says they were terrified, uh, that, that in the Greek, the word is literally uh, mega fear. They were filled with a mega fear. And this, according to Scripture, we see, is the standard response of humans to the glory of God. Just a fraction or a hint of God's glory is enough to put you on your face. I just want to look at two other examples of this. One is in Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, it says this. We see another person experience the glory of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. This is the response to a human experiencing the glory of God. Sinful people confronted with a holy God is a terrifying experience. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, they were created naked and unashamed, enjoying intimacy with God. But then when they chose to reject God's loving rule over their lives, what did they do the next time God came around? Genesis 3, 8 and 10 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. In our sin, when God shows up on the scene, it's not immediately a good thing. It's, it's grace, it's a gift, but it's not immediately feels like a good thing, I should say. It's terrifying. It exposes that sense that we're bad, that we're unlovable at some deep core level of our being. I feel like we need a lively example, <laughs> or to lighten the mood here with, it, with an example. So we're, we're playing, I remember growing up here in this church and we would do turkey bowl football in the field in the back there. And I love playing pickup football. 
Uh, I like to think I'm pretty good at football. You know, if you throw something, I can get my hand in a place where I can get my hands on it, I'll catch it. And uh, if we make plays and you stick to your route, I'm probably going to hit you if you stick to your route the way we practiced. Uh, if, if we're playing pickup football and you don't make plays, you know, like the just get open thing, I don't like doing that. You know, you gotta you got to stick to a play, draw the defenders away, all that stuff. I don't overthink it. So I like to think I'm a pretty good football player, pickup football player, even though I haven't played football, organized football since the third grade. But then imagine that C.J. Stroud shows up and he wants to play quarterback. And all of a sudden, it becomes crystal clear to me the reality of the situation that I am an out of shape, 30-something dad of three that hasn't played organized football since third grade. By C.J. Stroud showing up, it is clear what is going on. There's a little bit of what it's like when God shows up in his manifold perfection. We can do us. We can kind of have our ways of living and being where we, we manage that sense that we're not that great or we manage the, the true depth of our sin, our besetting sin, our weaknesses and flaws, which are so easy to find people who are worse than us, to make ourselves feel better, all the things we do, strategies we have to numb or avoid that sense that there's just something deeply wrong with us. And then when God shows up, bam, all that is exposed and melts away. And that is a scary thing, but we must see that it is a grace, in the words of, like John Newton says, to be taught to fear the glory of God. Glory in Hebrew is the word kavod. I really like the, saying that, kavod. And it, because it, it feels like it, it captures what it means. And the literal way to translate that Hebrew word is weight, like substance. We talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the substance or the, just the immense significance of God. And imagine, imagine a scale, like a, weighing things in a, in a balance. The thing that weighs the most is going to sink down. Are the slides up? There they are, okay. I got a different screen. Um, so we put God, God's kavod, God's weight, God's glory on one side of the scale and then fill in the blank on the other side of the scale. Kids, your job, Ohio State football, your retirement account, and, the, and it is a grace to be taught to fear, to respect and value the weight and renown of the God of the universe who spoke the swirling galaxies into existence, oh, the, the same God who holds together every cell of your body right now as you speak, to hold that more weighty than anything else you could put on the other side of the scale. Why? Because that's in line with reality. If anything else weighs down the scale apart from God, Romans 1 would say, that's not grace, that is wrath. It's wrath of God on you to go on thinking a created thing has more weight than the creator. Maybe that created thing is you, thinking that you're in control of your life and your, your world Maybe that the creative thing is you thinking that college football actually matters or that you, you, could, you could get enough approval from others to finally feel good about yourself. And for a while, living in, in realities where things other than God carry more weight might work out. But eventually, living out of step with reality will lead to destruction. 
And friend, it is a gift to have our delusions, our false understandings of realities exposed by ultimate truth, the glory of God. It's a gift of grace to see reality in light of God's glory, to have God's glory invade our darkness. Psalm 36 says, in your light do we see light, like God is the sun by which we see reality. It's by God's light that we see reality as it is, and that's how we can flourish under his rule. And the next few verses show us our fears relieved. Look at verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. We'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So in this place of fear and exposure that the shepherds were experiencing, the good news of great joy comes. And the term good news here in the Greek is literally the word for gospel in other places, euangelion. The the good news, the gospel, the great joy is that unto you, uh, unto these scruffy teenage shepherd boys, a savior king is born. A savior and a messiah is born. God moves towards us in that place of exposure and gives himself. And this pattern is so beautiful over and over in scripture. The grace of God shows up. He reveals himself And it's terrifying at first. When you're really seeing God, it's terrifying at first. The perfect beauty and majesty and glory of the Lord. But then he shows them grace. Grace teaches our hearts to fear. And grace is how our fears are relieved. Look at how that little passage in Isaiah ends. Isaiah 6, verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Look what happens next. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. God moves towards Isaiah and makes him clean. By grace relieves that fear that would say, woe is me. And look at Adam and Eve. They hid, they were exposed, they realized they were naked. And then Genesis 3.21 says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God clothed the people who rebelled against him. He doesn't leave his people naked, pitiable, but takes away their guilt and shame and clothes them. God clothes Adam and Eve in skins. Where do skins come from? From animals dying, being killed. Something had to die in order to clothe Adam and Eve in their nakedness. There's one tiny little foreshadowing of how God, God's grace relieves our fear of exposure. 
Adam and Eve were covered in their nakedness with the life of some animals. And that's part of what the glad tidings of the Christ, this child, the Savior born to us, who would die so that we could be covered by his perfection. And this only adds to the glory of God, whose terrifying glory makes us fall on our faces and want to hide, yet in his mercy he moves towards us to take away our guilt, to cover us in Jesus' perfection. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ, which means that we can now enjoy his glorious manifold perfection and presence forever. We no longer need to hide in fear of being exposed by the glory of God, but instead we can flourish in his presence because by grace God forgives us, makes us clean, and moves towards us. Now there's some fascinating developments in the field of interpersonal neurobiology. I just need to nerd out on you guys for a minute, so bear with me. Interpersonal neurobiology is essentially the study of how our brains respond to relationships with other people. And a neuroscientist would tell you that the feeling of joy, like the scientific, like what would show up on a brain scan, feeling of joy, the chemical reaction in your brain happens as a response of beholding someone delighting in you. Seeing someone's face light up when you walk into the room because they enjoy you, they're happy that you're there. And conversely, the opposite of joy is that deep sense that we're not worth loving, that no one really cares if I'm here or not, or, or, or rather, rather me not be here, that I'm a waste of space, seeing angry or cold facial expressions. And what they're discovering is that this interpersonal understanding of joy, this, this sense of joy that we experience uh, internally that's vitally connected to other relationships is, is, is the way that humans flourish. It's, it's vitally connected to, to human development and well-being, to live without a sense that you belong, that people are glad that you're there, that they're happy to see you, literally stunts our brains and the degree to which we thrive. You think about kids in, in homes that aren't loving and that, that aren't well-loved, and you think about learning abilities and all these different kinds of things out there. Some of the positive parenting literature that I've read as I try to figure out how to be a dad, it, one of the things that stuck with me is you should set up your whole life as a parent to where you can delight in your kids when they rock in your room. If that's work less, whatever, you know, like you, you need to be patient enough to be able to delight in your kids when they walk in the room because that is how humans thrive. And the reason I go into all of that, sorry if that was distracting, is because this is exactly what we're seeing God providing for us in Jesus. The look of affection that would fill us with joy is provided for us in the God of the universe, looking on us in love because of Jesus. So often we live with a sense that we're not lovable and we're afraid of being exposed because if people really knew us, they, they wouldn't love us. And then we, let, then we live out of fear instead of love. We let that fear of rejection define how much we work or how we parent our kids or how much money we need to make. And that will, that will destroy us. That will lead to a sad, lonely way to live. And here we see God turning his gaze to the shepherds and they're terrified, but the angel tells them, 
Do not be afraid because your fear has been met with the ferocious love of God who has given you a savior, who has sent Jesus to be your king and who died for us while we're still sinners. In Jesus, this recipe for joy is met. God looks on you regardless of your family of origin, regardless of what you've done, and his favor rests on you for those of us who are in Christ. You can behold the face of God, his pleasure in you, his exuberance that you exist, that he knit you together, that every day of your life was already written down in his book before you lived any of them. He knows you and he loves you. And we might be tempted to think, well, if God really knew what I've done, if he knew who I've hurt or what I've watched online or what I've put into my body, there's no way but he has made, us, made a way for us. He knows all that, and he's made a way to be saved from our sin and that fear of exposure. Because he's known, he knew everything you've ever done, and he still sent Jesus as a baby who would grow up and die for your sin. This good news, these glad tidings, is what casts out that fear of exposure. This is a scandalous grace extravagant, undeserved, good gift of Jesus. So Christmas is all about why we celebrate it year after year. We see three responses to this good news in the shepherds, starting in verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The first response we see is that the shepherds share what they've been told. They, they testify to what they have experienced. This shows us something, something about good news. Uh, a, a distinct aspect of good news is that it can't not be shared. I know that's not correct English. I'm sorry. But intuitively, we know this. Like if you eat a good meal or you see a sh TV show you like or your kids do something cute, like you can't not share it. Like we're humans are wired. We're born evangelists we, about things that we love. And so... We see this good news that God would look on us in love and delight, that we'd feel so personally known, that we'd think about the God of the universe knowing all of our days before we live any of them. Because of Jesus, we want to tell others. And I, I bring this up. Yes, go tell people about Jesus. It's a great time of year to do it. You could sing them a Christmas carol. It's full of Jesus, Jesus lines in there or whatever. But I just want to ask the question, could it be that evangelism, telling people about Jesus is so hard and uncomfortable because on some, on some level, we don't really believe, we don't really believe it. We haven't really experienced the sweetness of it. And so that, that effortless proselytizing that comes when I can just like text pictures of my kids that I think are cute because I want everyone to see how cute my kids are, hasn't made it into that experience. The second thing is that this is kind of implicit in the first, but I want to point it out, is that experiencing this, this goodness, this good news, sends the shepherds into relationships, to be with people. 
we have the joy of seeing God look on us with love and delight, and that empowers us for relationships. The, the, the fuel for good relationships, the, the foundation or the atmosphere, whatever you want to say for good relationships, happens when we're living in the, the love that we have from the Father, the joy that we can experience when we think about God's affectionate, fatherly gaze looking upon us. And the opposite it could be, you could say the, the opposite way. The, the feeling that we're unlovable, that no one would like us if they really knew us, that fear of rejection will keep us withdrawn from other people, straining our relationships. It makes us exhausting to be around other people. Why? Because we have to be on, right? We, like, we don't believe that we're truly lovable, so we need to keep up the performance, as it were. But out of our horizontal relationships flow our vertical relationship with God, and vice versa, out of our vertical relationship flow our horizontal relationship. You see this all the time in the Gospels. People have an experience with Jesus, and they run to tell other people. They run to come and see. They, 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 they want to share what it's like, and we see that <clears throat> the basis for relationships is this joy in the Gospel. And the third thing we see is in verse 20. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And I just love that the shepherds went back to work. They just went back to the field to take care of their sheep. The joy of the gospel, the joy of the almighty God of the universe, looking on them with love and sending Jesus to them was something they could take back into the field. It didn't call them to some higher level of work or a fancier calling. They went back to their normal calling. The cares and burdens and duty of life aren't opposed or hindrances to this glorious good news of Jesus. The joy of God's gift born unto us gets into the nitty gritty of our days and informs how we're shepherds or stay-at-home moms or teachers or doctors. God's joy, that, that, that joy-giving look of delight that God has for you is something we have to bring into our days of, of all the little, little tasks and jobs that we do, maybe for pay, maybe for not pay. Experiencing God's delight in your everyday is crucial for enjoying the gospel. It's not just church activities. It's not something that we, you have to like sign up to volunteer to do or only spiritual activities where we can get God and experience his loving gaze. When you're changing a diaper, God is pleased with you. When you're bringing order to a spreadsheet, God is tickled at how you're using the gifts that he gave you. When you're going to your doctor's appointments and being friendly to the nurses, even though you're in a lot of pain, that, that's, that God sees you and he's with you. And this is kind of the, the application I got for us this morning is this week, pause to see God seeing you in love. Pause to see God seeing you in love. This is just like a three-second moment throughout your day, especially as we go into the gauntlet of holiday, festivities, traveling, baking, cooking, shopping, wrapping, all those verbs that happen around the Christmas season. I invite you to just take a few seconds internally and behold the God of the universe looking on you with deep affection and delight. And the key here is to behold God looking at you. 
Because sometimes I think we as church people, Christians, we can fall into the trap of, of beholding God kind of like Adam and Eve when they were hiding. Like we're like peeking through bushes. Like we'll, we'll stop and like, oh, I see God over there, but we don't want him to see us. But instead, this is a stopping and whatever we're doing and look at God looking at you. Here I am, d- delighted in because of what Jesus has done for me. So if you're driving in a minivan with three screaming kids, speaking for a friend, behold God looking at you in love. Ponder in your heart like Mary did that God looks in you with love. As you're sitting around your table this Christmas, feeling just the deep ache for all the people who are not at the table this year, maybe for the first time, pause and see God looking at you with love. The band comes up and I pray, I want to invite you to come forward during our closing song uh, to, to receive prayer. If there's something that uh, you, you want to hold before God, if this sense that you're unlovable is something you've carried your, your whole life, you don't have to carry it alone. We'd love to pray for you. If the fear of exposure is something that's defined your life, you've never actually opened up to the glory of God and the grace that can, can relieve your fears, we'd love to talk to you about that as well. Let me pray. Oh, Father, I praise you for who you are, for your immense glory, the just immensity of your significance and weight. Out of you, everything that exists has its breath. Everything that lives uh, depends on you for sustenance. I praise you for just the scope of that. Even people who blaspheme your name or don't think about you and animals, everything owes its existence to you and you sustain it all. Yeah, Father, you call us to know you as, as our Father. You call us to be your children. And Father, I pray uh, just in the name of Jesus that you would silence that deep sense that we're unlovable with your perfect love, that we would uh, have the courage to feel exposed by your perfect perfection, and that we would repent of our sin and receive grace. Would you show us grace to, to, to show us the things that we uh, give more weight to you, more weight to than you, so that we could uh, see you uh, in, in all your beauty and live in reality? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a -A K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.